welcome back to Grit Iron Gamble, the only podcast that puts its money where its mouth is. I'm your host, Rich Ryan, and after an abysmal 0-4-1 week 12, we are now 23-34-3 in the Las Vegas Super Contest. Good for whatever the fuck place we're in. Disastrous season. Disastrous week. A couple stats uh, Mo found earlier. I, I don't recall them offhand, Mo. If you if you can or can pull them up, that'd be great. At just how crazy the last couple of weeks have been from a favorites perspective. And just how favorites have just been piling money in the most historic ways. And this isn't even hyperbole. This is immeasurably insane how often favorites have been covering as composed to historic data. Um, I got them right here. Go for it. You ready? I'm ready. Since 2003, NFL favorites have gone whatever, whatever, 49.9% minus 85 units. This season, they're 55% against the spread plus 11 units. And over the past seven weeks, seven through twelve, they're sixty-nine percent plus twenty-seven point six units. Major historical outlier. Sixty-nine percent. If you just blindly bet every favorite, they were sixty-nine percent nice overall <laughs> in November as well. The best month favorites have had in the Super Bowl era per ESPN stats and information. We got no chance when that happens. We got no chance. And if this is you clicking on these teams and winning, congratulations, but you better hurry up and change your strategy. (laughs) History says you're going to get a mouthful of shit real soon. (laughs) Uh, Real quick, I want to apologize for the delay in this show. Totally my fault. Uh, Totally. Uh, had some errors on my side, laptop, you guys don't want to hear the excuses, so I just want to apologize, thank you for joining us, late as it may be. Real quick on those trends, you you seem confident in the fact that it's going to correct Mo, but is there a chance, this seems like the second season in a row, where sharp plays have not come through as frequently as they used to, square plays have been more successful, is this a correction? Of some sorts, it's certainly not going to stay at this unsustainable 69% rate. But do you think there's some sort of correction where, I don't know, maybe favorites are going to come in more frequently than previously? Or do you think we're going to regress back to the mean that was the last, whatever, 47, 48 years of Super Bowl era uh, against the spread trends? Oh, yeah. I'm not saying it's just going to go back to sharp sides cleaning up every week and every public idiot is just busto. Uh, because there's definitely um, there's definitely been a shift in like the overall marketplace, I guess, to where I guess like some of these people who who are piling and have made so much money in the past betting all these sharp sides and they're piling these sides are a little bit behind some sort of shift that happened. I mean, I think the proliferation of like, I guess the way a team like the Patriots plays really helps them to overcome some of the variance that in the past was maybe present and, and a bigger factor. I guess what I mean by that is that their offense, we've always said this, like they are one of the few teams that figured out basically you don't really have to run the ball hardly at all other than for game theory reasons. And their offense and the way, how how much more advanced they are than 90% of the other teams, which I've been saying all year, when I watch these Eagles and Rams, other teams are starting to catch on to this. Uh, these teams are so mathematically ahead of these other teams. It's like the Rockets in the NBA shooting all these threes. And like when these other teams adjust and start doing 
what these guys are doing, it's going to shift things back some. But I would say there's definitely a hole right now that exists where, similar to the Rockets, like I said, shooting all these threes, um, at some point everyone else is going to figure it out and start doing that, and we're already seeing that every single year. It goes up. I think I heard a, a, a stat on Zach Lowe's pod the other day where the, the Blazers are shooting the same number of threes they shot last year, but they went from like 12th in the league to like 25th in the league. Yeah, that was like the the Rockets in pace, right? The Rockets were one of the top teams in pace, and at one juncture in like the third or fourth week of the season, I think I heard the stat where they were 30th in pace, which just goes to show you that the league changed. The league saw yeah, something, and these, the, the market corrected itself. Yeah, these NFL teams that are still stuck in the mud firing halfback dives, um, and then you got these teams like the Eagles, Rams, and Pats, and what's funny is Belichick's been doing this for like five-plus years, but it took until this year for me to start seeing other teams like really commit to it. And, and it's just that we've known for years that passing is a more efficient way to play football. And I think that that is being that strategically miles ahead of these other teams is, is helping some of these teams uh, eliminate some of the variants. I guess that that's one theory I have anyway. I, I like where we're at here. This is a non-traditional start, but I like the topic and, and how we're discussing it. And, and DP, I'll turn to you because you, you're I mean, we're all big NBA fans here, but you, you above anybody else have been touting the NBA as, as one of the sharpest leagues for a while now, not just in terms of like the marketing ability and the, the job that Adam Silver does, but the teams themselves and their, their ability to adapt and reason and try to correct the market as we were just discussing. But it seems like the NFL, there's so much archaic thought that this adjustment, as Mo just noted with the Patriots being ahead of the curve for what seems like even more than five years, seems like a decade they've been ahead of the curve. Uh, it seems like some of the antiquated thinking is holding back a lot of these teams and it's going to take them even longer to adjust, at, at which point the bell checks of the world could be on, you know, 1.2 of this type of strategy and then be ahead of the game once again. Like, do, do you think the NFL is capable of catching up fast enough that it's even worthwhile? They need to make a pretty seismic shift in getting rid of a lot of these coaches that are just stuck in their ways and very stubborn with how they do things. I mean, I look at it, you know, if I'm going to compare the NBA to the NFL, you know, the, the NFL is more of like the old school corporate business model. And the NBA is much more like the startup category of businesses, or let's say the NFL is the Pony Express and the NBA is email, you know, like that sort of thing. It's just things just change much quicker in the world of the NBA and people are much more progressive overall, whether it's coming from the commissioner in his office, you know, where he's openly, you know, backing sports betting and how that can help the league and that sort of thing. Or if it's just the coaches trying new things, switching up the way that they play. I mean, they went, it was in the past, you know, what, two or three years where they've basically done away with um, the idea of just having that big seven foot, hunky center in the middle of the paint, just dump it down to him and, you know, put up two point buckets. That's, I mean, you can't even, you can't make it to the NBA anymore. If you're that type of player, you can't, you have to be, you have to be mobile. You have to be able to move. You have to be shooting threes. I mean, and some of these guys that, you know, even grew up playing that sort of role, just that big center in, in, in the middle of it all, they're, they're stepping out to the line now and they're shooting threes. So, you definitely need to see that sort of change in the NFL. I just don't know when it's going to come. You know, I mean, Mo, you brought up the Rams and the Eagles. Um, it's it's interesting that, you know, the Patriots have been doing this for many years now, and they have a coach who's been in the game, you know, as long, if not longer than anyone. But, but with the Rams and the Eagles, you have two new coaches. You know, Peterson with the Eagles is, is new. He's only a couple of years in the league as a head coach. And then McVay obviously is, you know, he, he looks like he's 22 years old out there. But you have these guys who are, they're new, they're fresh, they're, they're doing things that are, you know, and then you have another person like, you know, I, I kind of believe in Kyle Shanahan as a coach. I mean, I think that right now he just has a dumpster fire as a roster out in San Francisco, but I think he'll eventually get it. I think you might see that come if Josh McDaniels ever leaves the Patriots. Stop, you know, stop, stop. He already failed. He's a bad coach. Get out of here. No, you need, you need, okay, Bill Belichick failed. Very true. 
you need you I believe in the NFL. I think if you look at most coaches, you're you're probably going to need two opportunities to get it right. One where you kind of screw things up because you try things and then you learn from that and then you get better the second time around. I don't know if Josh McDaniels has the organizational power to be a head coach. I think he's an offensive coordinator and that's it. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. What if he does something where make see one of the things that I think really benefits McVay that I, I'm not sure how many people talk about it. I mean, I think we're all aware of it, but the fact that he has Wade Phillips with him, who is an off awesome uh, defensive coach, but also has that head coaching experience where he can kind of serve as that that mentor and that that guider to to what McVay is doing. I mean, yeah, McVay is the head coach and he's going to call the shots, but just having someone there you know, who's kind of been through it and who has seen things and who can handle the defensive side of the ball and just let McVay do his thing with the offense. I think that that helps him a ton. Doug Peterson has the same thing. Exactly. That's another another good analogy there. So you need, I, mean, I think you just need that. So I, it's going to be hard. If if people like John Fox keep getting fucking jobs in the NFL, I mean, w- w- they're never going to change. Those teams are always just going to fucking suck. They're always going to suck. Of course, referring to Jim Schwartz as the defensive coordinator for the Eagles. Same thing. Previously a head coach, great on the defensive end, can take care of that side of the ball while Doug Peterson focuses on the offense. So within your basketball analogy, Belichick would be Popovich, right? Despite Despite being the old guard, classically trained, someone who you on the surface would think would be totally stubborn and inefficient is actually sharp as the devil's dick. And then you have a, a couple of Steve Kerr's in McVay, Shanahan, per- perhaps Peterson. New Orleans is, is where it's it's really interesting because that, that coach-quarterback combo has been there for a while. The defense has really held them back, but even their offense this year is super efficient. And I think it just took trusting... Mark Ingram, and then, of course, drafting Alvin Kamara, who's just been a stud since he stepped onto a professional pitch. That team's been really fun to to watch uh, during the season. But it'll be interesting to see if if any of these teams can continue to roll in that direction and uh, get more of the Patriots mentality going forward. I think the playoffs should be really fun, and I think we could get a really cool... As long as the Pats get there, I know I hate saying that, but as long as the Pats get there, I think the Super Bowl this year could be truly epic. But let's take a look at Week 11 real quick. Again, 0-4-1, not too fun. Um, didn't even mean to rhyme there. And let's, Is that our worst ever? Yes. We've always had at least one win, right? Yeah, we've we, we've still never gone 0-5, but this is our first week without a single full pointer, which is, I mean, it's not good. Not good, guys. Back to water, boys. <laughs> Should have just let me put in the card. We, uh, yeah, Mo three and two. Donnie and I both went one, three, and one. And Brett, whew, Brett, zero oh, and five. Brett had a lot of IPAs. So many IPAs. So let's go back to Thanksgiving and a game I did not watch one snap in. So I will be leaning on you two for all of the analysis. It is. Dallas and Los Angeles, Brett's Chargers Super Bowl ticket still burning in his pocket, still drawing live. And from looking at the box score, it is total domination by L.A. Uh, But again, I did not see a single down in this contest. Mo, did the Cowboys ever have a chance here? or They never (laughs) had a chance. Honestly, I didn't even pay that much attention after the first few drives because I was so positive that Dallas was cooked. I couldn't believe how one-sided that that game looked. I was I was truly blown away. Uh wow, especially the Cowboys on offense. They ran the ball somewhat successfully, but they just there was no way they were keeping up with the Chargers who had a much more dynamic offense and were consistently moving the ball. Dak looked absolutely atrocious. All the Dak truthers in their holes now. Romo miles better at football. Romo could put down the cheeseburger, step on a field right now, and he would be better than Dak. You guys all had terrible, terrible fucking takes, Dak truthers. He's not that good. He's not even good. He's average at best. On the DFS portion of the Druken, yes, I, I spelled that incorrectly uh, accidentally, the Druken 
Thanksgiving podcast, I said that the best way to hedge in this game for us specifically, those of whom uh, were selecting the Cowboys in the Super Contest or in straight bets, whatever may have you, a great way to kind of leverage that would be to get on the Chargers in DFS. And boy, did they ball out. Phillip Rivers, 434 yards and three touchdowns. And that was on 33 attempts, 13.2 yards per attempt. This Cowboys defense is as bad as it gets. Keenan Allen, a massive game, 11 for 172. And a touch. Brett's Hunter Good call Henry. on Tyrell. Yeah, I was, gonna, I was just about to get there. Brett's Hunter Henry call came through 5 for 76 and 1. And while Tyrell was only targeted three times, my boy did haul in two catches. One of them was a touchdown. So he certainly met value if you fired him on the Thanksgiving slate. So total domination by the Chargers. D- DP, what did you take away from this game? Yeah, I mean, I'm with Mo, you know, it was pretty evident early on that, you know, the Chargers were going to run away with this game. Even I think it was the first two drives. um, They were like 16, 70 yard drives, and they didn't really get many points out of them at all. I mean, it really should have been 21, nothing very early. And then once they started to get in the end zone, it was just it was game over from there. I mean, my, my biggest takeaway is that I just, listen, we all knew Zeke in that, you know, that offense before Zeke went out with the suspension, it it was a running offense. You know, Zeke was a good running back and they have that powerful offensive line. But I mean, never in a million years would I just gather that the Dallas offense is just an absolute pile of dog crap without Zeke. Like you would think that you would be somewhat functional, but this is just, it's horrible to watch. I mean, they can't do anything with, with Dak, like nothing at all. I just, I don't understand like how you can lose a running back when in today's NFL a running back shouldn't matter that much. I mean, we just talked about that whole thing, how it's more of a passing league, you know, and it's just, how do you, how is that, that, how is it that bad now without, without Zeke? I just, I mean, it's, it's just, it's so bad. It's, it's, I don't know what to say. I mean, on the other side of the ball, I really do like what I'm seeing from the chargers. I mean, their defense is getting better and better every week. Um, their offense is, is, you know, we, we kind of always thought that their offense was, was very good. They just need to hold on to Noodle Arm there and Rivers, and he's done well. I mean, Rich, you said it, 430-plus yards uh, this week. So they're a team that seems to be getting better and better as the season goes on, which, you know, if, if you're somebody like Brett who's holding a Chargers Super Bowl ticket, that's really awesome because they can make a push of the playoffs, and if they get in, I think that they can definitely make a run at anyone, including the Patriots. And I think that, you know, with a weak AFC especially, I think the Chargers are definitely right there in the mix. They just got to find a way to the postseason. Did the return of Tyron Smith change everything? Did they highlight his play at all? It's, it's hard to to single out the left tackle a lot in some of these broadcasts, but in a national broadcast where that's one of the storylines entering the game, I would hope they'd have some ISO cams on him and discuss his performance. Did that happen? And if so, how did he perform? Anyway. I mean, I didn't think they did too much, uh, you know, singling him out and really doing any sort of ISO cams on him from what I can remember. Um, I mean, this one was over relatively quickly and I kind of was half paying attention halfway through the second quarter. But uh, yeah, I mean, they, it seemed like they, they, you know, Dallas started off running the ball. All right. Like most said, and then they kind of got away with it and they, they attempted to sort of put the ball in Dak's hands a little bit, but then he couldn't get anything going and the run game didn't work out. And then when they had to go back to relying on Dak, you know, in, at the, in the second half and in the end of the game, I mean, they just couldn't, they couldn't do anything. And then just their whole, I mean, their defense, I mean, listen, we know Sean Lee's out and he's that backbone of that defense, but good God, they are just, I mean, they are awful. Like they are just so bad on defense. It's just not even funny to watch them try and play defense. They're just, they're not guarding guys. They're just letting people run all over the field. Like, listen, you know, Keenan Allen's the guy. So you need to just double him and just let him get his short five and six yard catches, but that's it. But I mean, that guy was, he just ate, all day long and you just can't have that and like yeah if a tyrell williams or a travis benjamin or hunter henry if they end up beating you okay i mean so be it i think you can live with that but to let the guy that who is expected to beat you have such a day like keenan allen did i think that that's just a horrible you know fail on the dallas team and you have to look at the the coaching staff really i don't think that they were prepared Uh, i mean jason garrett i mean that guy doesn't really know what he's doing except for standing out there and just being jerry jones's water boy so I don't know where they go from here. They need they need Zeke back, and they need him back quick. If you want to get go ahead. A, a read of how bad Dak is and why Dallas is not going to win any football games unless they're ahead, you just look at the targets. He threw to Des Bryant five times. 
while the leading targeted man in the offense was Jason Witten. Guy, you're not coming back throwing to Jason Witten. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. The corpse of Jason Witten, who I saw a tweet of a screen cap of University of Tennessee, a, a, a UT message board, and one of the threads was, is Jason Witten going to be the next head coach? Which I found to be funny. Let's move on to Sunday, the main slate, and let's get one of the worst mooses of the year out of the way, and I'll give the platform to Mo here so he can just salt away about how much he hates the New York Fighting Jets. Uh, the Jets, who could have won this out game outright, uh, somehow give up a special teams and defensive touchdown in the span of what felt like five minutes. They still only lose by eight, but they obviously fail to cover the four and a half. Mo, the floor is yours to vent. Talk about this insane moose delivered on a hot, steamy plate of shit by the New York Jets. I feel like this was Groundhog Day. I woke up and I was just watching that Falcons game again. I mean, it was literally the exact same. Right down to the monstrous, monstrous special teams gaffe. It's just incredible. I absolutely detest the Jets. I hate the Jets more than I've hated any football team in recent memory. I just can't stomach this team. I can't. This is worse than the Giants last year when you guys had us piling the Giants early on and I was watching their offensive tackles just get blown by every play for sack after sack. And I just wanted to... I have no hair and I still wanted to rip my hair out. (laughs) And that's how I feel about the Jets. I can't watch this team. I mean, when the Browns do Brownsy things, at least I just know the Browns suck. The Jets shouldn't be this bad. That three and a half win total was a complete fucking joke. This should be a six win team, but they just blow their own dicks all over the field. It's just completely embarrassing. Todd Bowles is a horrible fucking football coach. I used to think he was like somewhat reasonable. I don't know why I ever thought that, but like this team has actually like some talent. They're not even close to being the worst team in the league from a talent perspective. And it's just unfathomable to me and how they just cannot get out of their own way and just turn these games that should arguably be wins into blowout losses. It's incredible. The interesting thing is that while I agree that I, that Bowles is not a great professional coach, I don't know if a lot of the losses this year are particularly on him. It's a lot of it's just Massive errors made by players, whether it be Catanzaro missing what should be chip shots, chip shots for a professional kicker, or this Josh McCown fumble against the Panthers, which is just inexcusable. Protect the ball, Cade. It's, it, it just can't happen. And and this game is so tilting because the Jets, yards per play, 6. The Panthers, 4.7. 4.7 Yeah, this should have been a win. Play. This should have been a win. Outright win, and they did not cover plus four and a half. Cam, six yards per attempt, no touchdowns. Cade, 8.5 yards per attempt, three touchdowns. <laughs> How did this happen? How is this possible? This is one of those games where uh, the, the Vegas revenge is coming. <laughs> when games like this happen. Like, this is, this is, it's, it's just a horrifying loss. I, I still am dumbfounded by it all. Hope you didn't have ASJ in fantasy. Uh, oh, yeah. Forgot about that one, too. <laughs> Fuck you, ASJ. Just a complete, absolute layup. I mean, that's like an NBA player missing. Just a, I mean, a complete breakaway. Like, he didn't even get touched. And then, of course, the fumble drop later where he did not have full possession of the ball. Man, just, just a really frustrating effort and result. Uh, if you're going to take away anything from this game on the Carolina side of the ball, Devin Funches is a middle to top end wide receiver two going forward. 12 targets in this game, holding seven for a buck. Oh eight again in a game where the Carolina Panthers only had 168 passing yards and six yards per attempt. So Devin Funches a, a very strong WR2 play for the rest of the fantasy season. 
ton of volume, and obviously in a game where they didn't even move the ball that much, he still crossed the century mark. So, but the Panthers are—they're interesting. Their defense is really good, but their offense is so flaky. So, they, I don't know how much I believe in in their eight and three. Like DP, who do you think's better, Carolina or the LA Chargers? Hmm. I mean. Can I answer the question where I think who I like where they're going better? Well, yeah, that's, that's you know what I mean. That's like part the, of it, right? like right now. I mean, I think that they're kind of relatively the same, you know. But their trend lines, like they're they're crossing, but one's going down and one's going up. And I kind of, I mean, not that the the Panthers are necessarily going down, but they're just kind of flatlined. You know, they're just the Panthers. This is what they are. I mean, they this game they looked all right in this game specifically, but they didn't. They didn't do anything to to really impress anyone. And if you just kind of look at the box score, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, they won by eight. They covered the spread. But, I mean, we watched the game. We know that they didn't look like they were going to cover that fucking spread. They might have even lost the game outright the whole time. But, you know, I think a lot of people are going to just kind of look at it and say, oh, yeah, they look, yeah, they won. They beat the Jets like they should have. Now they're eight and three. But I don't think it really looks like that. And I, I really like, in terms of, like, where the, the Chargers are going, I really like where they're going. And if I'm going to pick somebody going forward, I'm definitely picking the Chargers. Panthers are a product of their schedule, and when they make the playoffs, I will happily be hedging out of my 33-1 to or whatever because I don't believe in this team. Carolina has played the 21st toughest schedule thus far. So a very good point there by Mo. And it's just amazing how record is the only real measurement that we have, uh, or at least that most people use, and someone would see eight and three Panthers and five and six Chargers and say, "Well, of course, Carolina, they're they're a better team." But I, I tend to agree with with DP that if the Chargers have not already passed the Panthers, they're certainly on track to do so in the coming weeks. I'll tell you what, Philip Rivers, he's got a lot more heart than Cam Newton. That's for damn sure. <laughs> Another game that we lost was my fault. I, I broke the rule of Mo, and I made Donnie really angry when I private messaged him before the drunken show to submit the card before we hit record because I selected the Browns plus eight at Cincinnati. And I don't know, guys. <laughs> Even though they lost by two touchdowns, I'm going to pull a mo here and say that they were still the right side. Again, this game was very Spider-Man, meaning yards per play. The Bengals were 6.1. The Browns were 6.0. And it feels like every time the Browns got the ball, they just walked down the field and got into scoring position. Kaiser had 8.6 yards per attempt. Dalton had 7.6. But they could never convert when they got into the red zone had a really bad missed field goal by, I think the guy's name, yeah, Zane Gonzalez. Missed an absolute chippy, which at the end of the day, they lose by 11, so it's not really a big deal. But seems like they had tons of opportunities in or around the red zone and just didn't convert. But when Cincinnati got down there, they had no problem, uh, whether it was Joe Mixon or uh, Tyler Croft getting into the end zone. So I, I don't know. I, I don't feel bad about the selection, but Mo, you were, you were very angry throughout this entire game that the Cleveland was on the card. Because every week it's something else like that with Cleveland. Every week they find a way to just get destroyed. And even it's, even if they're competitive, they were very competitive with Detroit. That game should have easily been a cover. Uh, I mean, all they needed was probably for Kaiser not to get hurt that game. But then again, that's another thing that happens every fucking week with this team. Yeah, I mean, they just can't Kaiser, keep their quarterback healthy. What is this Kaiser migraines? Yeah, come, well, I mean, this is come. almost like a, a blatant. I mean, w- could they tank that brazenly? <laughs> I mean, Kessler did Kessler? He only attempted one pass. Of course, he also got sacked in that in, during that drive. But he only attempted one pass. I don't understand that. What's going on there? Why is Kaiser leaving and coming back? I mean, this is just this is just the Browns tanking, I guess. They just really want that number one pick, but uh, I guess I don't know. Maybe we'll see. Maybe we'll see something change next week if Josh Gordon is is not zombie Josh Gordon, and they have two. 
good over-the-top weapons, maybe their offense will keep moving the ball. Yeah, Corey- I think Corey Coleman has definitely been huge for them. I mean, like you said, they did move the ball, and I think Corey Coleman is a big part of that because he's a player that other defenses actually fear a little bit, and they don't want to get behind them to beat them for a big touchdown. And, you know, he's producing, and he's helping everyone else around him at the same time. Cleveland running game super efficient too. Crowell sixteen for ninety five. That's nearly six yards per clip. And Duke when he comes into spell six for thirty five. That's also nearly six yards per clip. So very efficient when they're running the ball. And then Duke obviously is great out of the backfield as well. He caught four of his five targets for thirty two yards. <laughs> I, I as much as Donnie hates it, I still like the prospects for this team. I believe in Sashi. I believe in the pieces. That he's collecting, and I don't know. I Of all the teams that are going to have a high pick next year and could turn something around very quickly, I still think the Browns are amongst them. Maybe they're a Teddy Bridgewater suitor, even though uh, we were talking earlier in the Skype chat, for those of you that, uh, for all of the world that's not in there, about Teddy Bridgewater is an unrestricted free agent next year. And I put in the chat that it'd be interesting if we went to Jacksonville. But then Brett dug up some numbers, and he's been pretty below average by DVOA in the two years that he played. But I, I don't know. I, I'm still interested in Teddy at the quarterback position just from the fact that he's safe with the ball. He's conservative. He's not going to make mistakes, and that you can kind of build an offense around that. And that's that. maybe something like that is exactly what the Browns need. It's certainly exactly what Jacksonville needs. Yeah, I always thought that, you know, Teddy would be a decent pro just because of that. I He's a great decision maker. And, uh, yeah, that is exactly what Jacksonville needs. Donnie, you still out on Sashi? I mean, yeah, I am. <laughs> One of the biggest things that I have, biggest question marks I have with the, with the Browns in general is I have no idea what Hugh Jackson is. Like, I, what, is he just like a placeholder? Is he just hanging out there? And he's, is that why he's always happy and seems to be smiling even though his team can't win a damn game? Is he just because he's like... Yeah, you know, we're just going to tank and we're going to let you collect a paycheck cuz I I can't tell if that guy is is good and possibly just holding back because they want to tank or what's going on. But he I, I I don't know. So like if they do, you know, eventually draft a quarterback, which they always seem to neglect doing and they end up kind of turning it around, is he going to be somebody who can actually do that cuz I'm not sure I've seen anything from him that shows me that Hugh Jackson can be a successful NFL coach going forward. So Hugh got a lot of love for what he did in Oakland and Cincinnati. But if you if you look at his very best seasons in the league, it's when he was the offensive coordinator on a Cincinnati team with A.J. Green, Marvin Jones, and Mohamed Sanu at the receiver position. Like, of course, that offense was efficient because their guys were open on every single play. Like those three guys are absurd on the field together. So I agree. I don't know what Hugh Jackson is. I don't know if he's any good. He could just Sometimes be the I worst. Sometimes I see him do random sharp shit, like go for fourth down, and then I'm just like, is he just doing this because it's the Browns and nobody gives a shit, or would he like actually do this in a competitive game? Right, or is he playing math ball? I have no idea. It's hard to tell. I'd like to give him a chance with a better roster, but to be honest, they're starting to build some talent there on both sides of the ball, and they're still pretty damn incompetent. So I'm starting to wonder whether or not, like Donnie, they need a coaching change in order to to get the ball rolling. And maybe that's part of the grand plan, to your point. Maybe they just have this dummy out here that's collecting checks, and then when they're ready to ramp up, they're going to turn to somebody else. They're going to hire whoever the hot new coaches or they're going to go to college and they're going to pluck a Jim Harbaugh or God forbid a Nick Saban or something and put them on the sideline. I don't know. Maybe that's part of a grand plan. A couple more games to discuss. We got to go to the late slate on Sunday Another infuriating game to watch. Again, another bad team that we selected. This is, I guess, it's just punishment for us taking bad teams. We talked about Kyle Shanahan briefly, and we had the Niners plus six and a half at home against the the Zombie Hawks. 
and it's not like the Seahawks played particularly well in this game, but San Francisco just couldn't do anything worthwhile. The the most tilting thing, and and we knew going in again, the the Niners outgained the Hawks per play. Uh, excuse me, they do not. I was looking at total plays. Uh, the Hawks were five to San Francisco's four point two. Just four point two is just inexcusable in the NFL. But the most tilting thing is that Jimmy G comes in and looks like Joe Montana in that jersey and how good he was. Now, obviously, we didn't expect Jimmy G to be the quarterback. We bet knowing that C.J. Beathard was going to be under center, and he was horrifying, as he has been. But if you're if you're a Niners fan, don't you just want to see what Jimmy G has and start developing some talent there? Like, that last throw, that was an amazing play. That was an absolute strike on the run, moving to the wrong side of the field from Jimmy G. So he is starting this week. It's going to be fun to watch him under center, but uh, just another bad performance by C.J. Beathard. But again, Mo, it's not like the Hawks played well. The Zombie Hawks are not a good football team, and yet they escape as six-and-a-half-point road favorites. I don't understand it. Hawks look like dog shit. This was a complete joke. I mean, man. Dude, there was one play that screwed up this whole game. Yes. Yes. The one, like literally, this this game you can look at. This game pissed me off to all end because there was, was one fucking play that screwed up everything. It's this pi. It was the worst call you will ever see all year. All right. Yeah, it that was, was absolutely so incredible. bad. Set it up. So du- so Doug Baldwin goes, runs a route, gets to the right corner of the end zone, and and what happens? How do they call good this coverage? PI? Good coverage by the Niners, which they had actually a lot of good plays by. Wait, Eric Reed is like good. I was uh pretty impressed with him um I, I don't even know if he was the one on cover this play dude was in perfect position doug baldwin put two hands on this db's shoulders and yanked him to the turf so he couldn't make a catch uh, i don't think he was going to pick it off but he looked like he was at least going to get a hand on it put two hands on his shoulders pulled him to the turf like when you would jump on your friends in the pool and push them under the under the water and just they threw a flag for DPI and put the ball on the one. It should have been like a 45, 50-yard field goal after a, a big penalty there. And just, no, it was unbelievable. I think uh, at that point, it was still a very close game. I think it was like 7-6. to six. And then the Hawks scored and went up 14-6 to six instead of they should have been. And, and their first touchdown was a complete, a complete fluke. It was a... The Niners threw a pick, but it was a pick where the ball was like laying on this guy's gullet, and Bobby Wagner just ran up and grabbed it. It was incredible. I mean, the Hawks were at that point not moving the ball at all. Another weak performance from Russell Wilson. Russell does these things where he'll make one of those scramble plays, and then he'll he'll like throw the ball without looking where it's going. And it's it's pretty amazing how many times he gets away with that, dude. You can immediately tell as soon as he throws the ball, you're like this is going to be picked off. There's no way. <laughs> and then somehow Doug Baldwin or somebody Jimmy P. Graham, Ridge, you know, make, they yeah. make some insane catch. And it happens at least once a game where he throws the ball without looking, like without knowing who's in the area. He just kind of escapes pressure and flings the ball up, and somehow the Hawks always find a way to come down with it. Seattle is seven and four and they're actually contending for that last wild card spot. Although it really hurts them that the Falcons have the tiebreaker over them going up to CenturyLink the previous week and beating them. But I, I would love nothing more than the Seahawks sneaking into the playoffs. I feel like that would be free money in the first round betting against the zombie Hawks. So I'm all, I'm all for that. Please make the playoffs, Seattle. I'm begging you to make the playoffs. Can't you just see them going on the road week one of the playoffs and losing by 20? Yes, easily. Yeah, this team isn't good. Man, praying on that happening. And then the final game last night, Monday night football. We knew the Texans offense is no good and that they were going to struggle and that the Ravens are the number one defense in DUA, but they they looked fine. before the last two drives, which of course were Tom Savage strip sack and then Tom Savage 
inexcusable interception, just not seeing a defender trailing the tight end on a an inside route. Uh, just, I, I don't know. They're, <laughs> I mean, they're wearing black and purple. They st- stand out like a sore thumb on a green field. I don't know how you see them, but Tom Savage just misses the, the player in coverage and just throws an interception right at his numbers. Besides those two drives, they moved the ball fine. Like, Nook played well. They were able to go up and down the field. And on the defensive side of the ball, despite obviously still being without uh, some of their star players like Merciless and Watt, I mean, Kevin Johnson plays well. Jonathan Joseph plays well. We love Clowney. That guy is just a disruptor. And they play fine. But the Ravens keep chipping away, chipping away. And and thanks to those last turnovers at the end, we push instead of getting in cover. And it's just an infuriating series of events at the end of the game to to not get a cover in this spot. And, And on top of all of that, the Ravens have the goat kicker in Justin Tucker. So it's not even like we had a chance of a missed field goal in any of these opportunities. It was automatic that Tucker was going to put those in. So, Yeah, Tucker helps them massively because this offense is so incredibly bad. He helps them so much more than he would help almost any other team. Yeah, I don't know how much more evidence we need to say that Joe Flacco isn't even worth a starting position. Tom Savage was the better QB in this game. He was just better than Flacco. I mean, Flacco, 141 yards on 32 attempts. You can't be in the league doing that. You can't be in the NFL on 4.4 yards per attempt. Like, you you can't have a job in this league doing that. Uh, ah. You guys were 100% on the right side of this one. This was was a moose. Texans should have covered. It's infuriating. This is Donnie's pick. And Donnie Donnie didn't want this pick. He wanted Colts on the card, which was actually, I feel like, more of a wrong side than Texans. But I just... I. I'm beside myself at the, the Texans I'm not covering here. DP, this was your pick. What did you think of this primetime upset for the collective? Yeah, I mean, uh, right side the entire game until Tom Savage just decided to, you know, screw everything up at the end with, with that, that strip sack. I mean, not that he can necessarily see that coming. It's from his blind side. Um, and then also the interception at the end of the game. I mean, this had... Everything looked good. This had four-point Ravens victory all over it. You know, it just seemed like the the Houston Texans offense just couldn't get it in the end zone, but they did enough, um, you know, on offense to to stay within reach of the Ravens, who you know couldn't score like we thought that they wouldn't be able to score. And yeah, I mean, if if it's just not for those two turnovers at the end, that, we're we're covering this game. We're you know we're walking away with a point, but unfortunately, it, it wasn't to be had. And this, you know, this Ravens team. I mean, they. They keep sneaking in there with these wins, but good man, good grief. They are just not good. I mean, Rich, you said it. Joe Flacco, 141 yards on 30 plus attempts. I mean, that's just he's just he's bad. He's just so bad. They just their offense is just, I mean, it's horrible. They're this team's gonna, I mean, they rely on their their defense and, and their defense does well, but I just I don't I don't I can't see this team doing anything. I mean, they they can't break 20 points on a on a regular basis. It's it's just it's a big struggle for them on offense and you know, I don't know. I'm just, I'm this, this one annoyed me. Uh, I mean, I think the Seahawks one more annoyed me because that's sort of out of our control with, you know, the refs doing things. But this one, I mean, it's just like, man, right side the whole game. And then, you know, last two or three minutes, just complete dog crap like usual. What are we going to do? It's just this kind of year for us. All right. Let's get to some positive news. Let's get some takes in here from Burt Minotti, the God. He's got, Three fantasy takeaways from Week 12, getting you ready for your season-long playoffs. Here he is, Brett Colson. Hey guys, Brett here to give you three fantasy football takeaways from Week 12. Number one, the fantasy football regular season is winding down and just in time for Derrick Henry owners who have managed to scrap their way into the playoff picture. Henry was projected as a sixth round fantasy pick in season long leagues and has been a massive disappointment for most of the season. But now that DeMarco Murray has effectively run himself out of touches in this offense, expect to see more of Henry here in week 13 against the Texans. Henry played more snaps than Murray last week for only the second time all season and also outrushed him 13 to 12 
averaging 6.1 yards per carry to Murray's 0.8. We know Mike Malarkey has M&Ms for brains, and he did make excuses for Murray's poor, for poor performance last week, but this running game should be shifting more in Henry's favor. I love him in DFS going forward, and I think he's playable as a flex or maybe even an RB2 in season-long leagues. Number two, tight end Ricky Seals-Jones has been given life by Blaine Gabbert in Arizona. After seeing only one snap the first 10 weeks of the season, Seals-Jones has been targeted 11 times over the past two weeks, catching seven passes for 114 yards and three touchdowns. This is not sustainable. Seals-Jones has played only 25 snaps in these two games. He did run 19 routes, but that still means he's been targeted on 58% of his routes run this season. For comparison, Antonio Brown has been targeted on 27% of his routes. That's less than half. So Seals-Jones is in for a huge dose of negative regression. Now the defenses know who he is. I do not view him as a playable tight end in DFS or season long going forward. Even with some plus matchups against the Titans and Giants coming up, do not fall in love with Ricky Seals-Jones. Number three. Robbie Anderson is a playmaker and should be in your starting lineup every single week. Josh McCown has targeted this kid at least five times in all but one game this season. He has scored a touchdown in five straight games, ranks fourth overall in receiving touchdowns this season behind Antonio Brown, Marvin Jones Jr., and DeAndre Hopkins. He has everything you want in a wide receiver too on your fantasy team. So if you've been gun shy to start Robbie Anderson in recent weeks, it's time to start firing. This kid's the real deal. And we are back. As always, let's take a look ahead at the upcoming lines and see if we have any early leans, any information that we can glean at this time. DP, I'll turn it over to you doing your pre-week analysis. Was there, were there any games that really stuck out to you when you took a first pass? Yeah, um, this Redskins-Cowboys line, I don't really understand it. I mean, we just talked about how the Cowboys are pretty much a joke. I don't think that this, they should be two-point favorites, even at home. Um, I actually think that they should be closer to a pick em. Um, But, you know, at minus two, I believe, was the last I saw for the Cowboys. It's still under three, so it's going to be a relatively close game. I mean, I whoa, just... Whoa, 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 What? You're seeing minus two on the Cowboys? That's what I saw when I looked earlier today. I'm yeah, plus one. So somebody with money agrees with you. Yeah, the Cowboys definitely opened as. Oh, it's a pick now. It was de- it was minus two earlier this morning, hundred percent. Yeah, the Cowboys opened as slight favorites. I capped this game at plus three. I I, <laughs> I didn't understand it at first either, but it looks like to most point that the money is going on Washington, and we have. We've got a Washington minus one slight road favorite. How, how do you feel if you're a bookmaker? You set minus two, and then immediately you have to move it. <laughs> you're just like fuck. Yeah, <laughs> we screwed that one up. You get ten dimes on the other side from a sharp yeah. better, and you're like, ah, oh, fuck. Uh, Mo, any thoughts from you on that game? Current line, opening line. Doesn't it seem like Washington should be minus three in this spot? Why? Why would anybody click Cowboys at anything less than plus three? Yeah, I. I... You know, when I first looked at this, I was like, man, am I really going to have to take the Cowboys again? Because they're just like home underdogs here to Washington. But yeah, if you're thinking about the way you think about the games, Rich, and the way you try to imagine uh, <clears throat> setting a line where there's at least going to be some some semblance of balance on the action, like you just can't even imagine any random fish after that game is walking up and and asking the the teller for... A Cowboys ticket. Yeah, it's it's just it's it's not happening at this current line, and I could certainly see this getting closer to a field goal as the week progresses. Any other games, TP, that really stood out to you? Yeah, so not that necessarily stood out to me the line, but I think I'm going to get excited about this Panther Saints game. Um, I have an idea of which way I'm leaning. I just need to kind of run through some some of my process and, and look at things a little bit more closely, you know, look at some of the key injuries and that sort of thing. But right now I kind of lean like I think the Saints are just going to wax this team coming off a loss. I mean, I think a lot of people are going to kind of think that, oh, you know, the Panthers took care of business like we talked about earlier, getting that eight-point victory over the Jets. But they didn't look too too good. Now they got to go on the road against the Saints. So 
Um, I think right now I'm going to get excited about that game, but we'll see. And the other one is this one. It's it's kind of it's weird because it involves Steelers being big road favorites, but then it also involves the Bengals in prime time. So, I mean, can I rely on the Bengals in prime? I mean, I should I should be able to bet against the Steelers as big road favorites, but then I'm betting on the Steel the, the Bengals in prime time, and they are an absolute disaster in prime time. So. I'm going to have to think about that one, but my initial thought is Steelers is big road favorites. I really, I don't know. I They play down to their competition every time they have a chance to, so why wouldn't they this time? Yeah, crazy trends there. Not only do you have Steelers as road favorites and Dalton in primetime, you also have Dalton against common opponents, which is a stat I, I royally screwed up one time this season during the podcast. And against common opponents, so teams that he's faced previously, and the higher frequency with which he's faced them, the worse he performs against them. Obviously, the Steelers and Ravens are big uh, components of that. And the Steelers, I mean, these Pittsburgh and Baltimore pretty much own Andy Dalton's ginger soul. So, however, Pittsburgh is the worst as road favorites. So there's just a lot of crazy trends going there. And obviously, the public piling on 73% currently favoring Pittsburgh. Uh, and in that New Orleans Carolina game, sixty nine per fifty nine percent of people, excuse me, fifty nine percent of people are backing the home New Orleans Saints there. Mo, on your first pass of these lines, did anything stick out to you for Week Thirteen? Can I throw it to you first? Can you throw it to me first? Of course, yeah. you can. How do you feel about Geno plus nine and a half? Well, I, I've got to recalibrate here a little bit because. Okay, let me ask you, are you moving the line up or down? <laughs> With the news of Geno Smith? Yeah. Uh, if I'm the bookmaker, yes, I'm I'm moving it up because of public perception. I, I think that people are going to see the drop bar from Eli to Geno. I mean, could... could well, do you know what the Westgate's at? Could I'm seeing nine and a half on Pinnacle right now. Westgate's at seven. Whoa! Yep. That's a huge difference between those two. Yep. It's a um, solid seven. Are there two individuals who whose perception is out of whack more than those two individuals? Eli on the high end and Gino on the low end, which makes the swing in this line even more insane. Like Eli, one of the most overrated quarterbacks of our lifetime, and Geno Smith, underrated might not be the the correct word because he he is objectively bad but has moments of greatness but people think he is the worst quarterback of all time like they think he is Dan Orlovsky bad when Geno's actually had moments where he looks like a professional quarterback so the public perception is so polar opposite on these two individuals that the line's going to move violently and I, I mean I have to love the Giants plus nine and a half. I, I I wish they had a team around him, right? Like he's throwing to. I, I don't know Shepard. Uh, is Shepard gonna play? He's he's been a question mark. We obviously love Ingram, but Tavares King. Who who's that? Uh, was it Ricardo Lewis? Who's that? So there's a lot of question marks, and the defense has really underperformed this season after having a banner year last year. Uh, they rank pulling it up on DVOA right now. They rank 22nd defense DVOA after a year where they were a top 10 unit. So it, it's tough with the team around him, but the Raiders are just, they're still bad. The The Raiders got Paxton Lynch last week, who I guess is kind of like a Geno Smith clone, and they took care of business, but I don't know. I, I can't lay nine and a half points with the Raiders. I think that's a bit of a joke. I mean, if you just want to get an idea of the public perception, just search Manning on social media. I mean, people are like ready to burn down New York that yeah. he's benched. They're, they're besides I don't, I don't get it. I'm like, what? this guy is not good. <laughs> like, what are you guys watching every week? He's had, like I mean, every week that there's a New York giants game. If you know, it's like Eli Manning just does the, the dumbest shit and it just blows up on social media. Yet when he then gets benched, everyone's up in arms that he's benched. I don't, I don't understand those two things happening in the same season. How many above average seasons has Eli had? Three? Oh, wait, the 08 season really sticks out. And then the 2014 season, I think, the second year, either the first or the second year with OBJ, 
he really went ham was super efficient touchdown to interception but other than that i can't think of like tent pole seasons where eli was was one of the best right like <laughs> i mean eli's a guy who i mean listen eli's i don't think he's good but if i'm if i needed to win one game i'm 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 kind of fine with Eli as my quarterback. I think that he can muster up enough ability to get it done for one game, but he's kind of like a one game quarterback to me. Like, I don't think that he has, can do this sort of thing, you know, have really good games for an entire season. He's always going to have those Eli blunders and this season when they're, they're out of it. I mean, they're two and eight. It doesn't matter anymore. He's not just going to be like, yeah, this is the week I'm like, I got to get my shit together. We got to win this game. Like it doesn't matter to him. So I don't think playing him is really going to move the needle at all. So Bench his ass and put Gino in there. Let's go. Uh, Mo, what do you think about this Chiefs-Jets line? You know what I think. <laughs> what do you think I think? That the chefs are fucking woke and that they shouldn't be road favorites in the Meadowlands? The Jets, yes, of course. <laughs> this is a slam dunk. I can't wait till we have the Jets on the card again. This is going to be fucking miserable. For me. After you just ranted about how <laughs> yeah. much you hate the Jets, this is so great. The Chiefs suck. <laughs> Yeah, the Chiefs, they gotta they gotta get it together, man. I heard I, I don't know what they're doing. We aren't good. What are these lines? I that heard... line last week was a complete fucking joke. Yeah, we blew it up. I knew that, that was like Sorry. a freebie. I was like positive that was gonna be on the card. That was one of the reasons I put Niners above them. I really wanted Niners on the card, but I was like almost certain everyone would have infinity on the bills because it was just so obvious. Yeah, How it. could that ever be a line? That yeah. was like a Peterman line. Yeah. Blew it. Just absolutely, I mean, we all picked it, but we didn't rank it high enough. We just absolutely blew that one. I, I heard uh, our good friend Bill Simmons today, they were discussing the Chiefs briefly, and he flippantly said something, I, I don't want to misquote him, but he said something to the effect of, uh, they don't have Eric Berry, but how big of a loss could that be? And I'm just like, man, you just don't get it, do you? Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> how big of a loss could an all-pro player be on a defense with, full of pukes? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I legit, like, I legit don't know what Marcus Peters is doing every single week. I mean, yeah, that guy is like, Peters he just wants to get out there and like look good and dance or something. I he like, wants, he wants picks. That's all he wants. He is. Yeah, but did you see that the the pick that he should have had the other week or last week was it last week or the week before? He is the contemporary D'Angelo Hall, even though somehow yeah, D'Angelo Hall is still playing football, but he gambles so often because yeah, all he wants is interceptions. And then Gaines, Brett's favorite player. Something Gaines. My God. And then and then Reed. I mean, how many swing passes did the Chiefs throw? <laughs> and it's like scripted swing passes where Smith is just taking the snap and just firing a swing pass. It's like it somebody from the Chiefs organization needs to kidnap Andy Reed, throw him in a room, tie him to a chair. And make him watch tape of the first five weeks when the Chiefs were yeah, throwing what, downfield. What happened to weeks one through five, Andy yeah, Reid? They, they literally just stopped throwing downfield. What happened Dude, to that guy? Alex spin. looked fine. We were throwing seamers to Tyreek. Uh, Kareem Hunt wheel routes. Kareem Hunt and, wheel routes were just shitting on people. Uh, screens to Kareem Hunt. Now the screens yeah, I don't know if you noticed, so you had that giant guy, Travis Kelsey, who's pretty good down the middle of the field. Yeah, all that's just gone away, and Reed is just Reed is just calling swing passes now. I don't understand what's happening. It's like, it's like, it's like a an alien person possessed Andy Reed for the first five weeks of the season, and just forced the Chiefs to play optimal winning football, and it's just gone now. How about this for a stat? The Kansas City Chiefs are five and zero with Chris Conley, and one and five without him. Was Chris, yeah, was Conley Chris, was, I guess, a big part, especially of, like, he was a really good blocker downfield. I was going to say, was Chris Conley the, 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 the X factor? Yeah, he, like, helped a lot on some of those big plays that Hunt was ripping off because he would make the second-level blocks that were helping spring him for big gains. Um, Albert's been fine as a receiver, I think, but he's small and Conley is big, so he is not a good blocker like Conley. We'll get you out on the two most public plays of the week so far. Uh, no surprise here. The Patriots, seven and a half point favorites in Buffalo. They're the most public side so far at 82%. And the other 80%er, 
the Los Angeles Rams also laying a touchdown. Uh, they're not giving the hook, but a touchdown in Arizona. DP, what do you think about your boys going into uh, good old Orchard Park laying seven and a half against the Bills? Uh, well, just to give you a little outlook on how it might look in the Super Contest, they're eight and a half right now. Uh, eight and a half point favorites at Westgate. So that number could be a little bit higher come Wednesday. Um, I like the Bills here. <laughs> I mean, listen, the Bills are a very hard out in Orchard Park. That defense plays pretty well. This is a divisional game. Uh, this is, you know, not so much like la- recent years, at least, where, you know, that by this point in the season, the Bills are just out of it. They're, you know, a four and seven team just struggling. Uh, they're they're right there to, to hopefully, you know, back their way into the playoffs if they can get some other teams to lose, but they need to win. So I think that they're going to, they're going to show up and they're going to play really hard. And they always play new England really hard. Another thing that I, I think works in the bills favor and against the Patriots is that the Patriots don't do so well when they play against mobile quarterbacks. Um, I mean, they just, it's just the the way that they are made up, you know, they go with that bend don't break mentality. They got shit on by Cam and Deshaun earlier this season. Yeah, I mean, they just, I mean, they're, they're not going to give up a ton of huge plays, but Tyrod's going to get his if he's willing to just kind of tuck it and run and, and dump it off to McCoy and that sort of thing and not worry about trying to make too many big plays. I mean, they, who's been their Achilles heel in the five recent years, really? I mean, the Seahawks always really played them well, right? And, and Russell Wilson is a mobile quarterback, you know? So I think that as long as Tyrod just does what he can do and doesn't get stupid and turn the ball over. And he's not prone to turn the ball over a lot. I think that the bills have a really good shot. So if this is up above a a touchdown, I really like the Bills side here. The Rams have been a public team for a couple of weeks now, but this is their arrival as a real public team laying a touchdown on the road in Arizona, 80% of the bets. You took the cards as a home dog last week. You were a lone wolf. You covered Mo, what are your prospects on Arizona this week? Sounds like it's a Mo special to be clicking on them once again. Yeah, if Gabbert's going to keep playing well, uh, you're going to have to watch out for Arizona getting nice numbers like this. Um, but that being said, they are coming off a big win as underdogs. That probably burned some people. And you guys, since you made that terrible, terrible Jags pick, um, it's just going to be really interesting to see overall this week. When I when I look across the lines, I don't feel like they're really inflating these lines. I mean, every week, uh, as Vegas continues to burn to a crisp, me and my buddies in our chat are like, when are they going to fix these lines and start making Pats, Eagles, Rams, massive favorites, Vikes? But then I look, and I mean, while the Patriots are pretty big favorites and the Rams are pretty big favorites, uh, Eagles are still at a very manageable number, minus five. Vikings are plus three at Falcons in a spot where I just I can't see. I think the Fal- I think the Vikings are one hundred percent going to be the number one play in the contest this week. I just can't. Every square is going to click Vikings. How could you not? Yeah, I thought I thought one hundred percent. I thought it was going to be a three week trend where uh, two weeks ago we had Rams at Vikings, two premier teams. But the public was going to favor the Rams. The Vegas was going to need Vikings money, so they hung the two and a half. So they did, and they won. Last week, the Saints, massive win, huge public side. The Rams coming off of a loss. You've got the same exact scenario. Most of the public's going to be on the Saints, so they shade the Rams line. They get some money over there. Rams cover. They win. I thought the exact same thing was going to happen this week. You had the Vikings, who were super hot. Obviously, the Falcons are coming off a win, but they don't have the same public weight as the Vikings, and I thought they were going to do the same thing. Let's just shade it a little bit, make it two and a half, hopefully get some money on Atlanta, and maybe Atlanta can get the cover. We're already seeing 63% of bets on the Vikings at plus three. I don't see that number being any less if it's two and a half. And they can Vegas could get a couple more dollars at minus two and a half on the Falcons. I don't understand why they hung three there. I thought it was going to be Yeah, I mean, this is going to be maybe the most interesting week of the season just because they are sticking to their guns, clearly. I mean, we just circle back to our first discussion. Yeah, it all comes uh, back. Yeah, they're, the, the books are sticking to their guns, and they're not trying to over-adjust. 
and we'll see if the public keeps torching them. All right. I first want to, not first, but before we get out of here, I want to congratulate E.H. Bruins, G. Mandos, Angry Kingston, M. Sorosky, N.H.G.G., and the homie T. Reside. T. Reside, who, I mean, this guy wrote a thesis on Bitcoin several years ago and did not tell his good friends about it when it was super cheap, and now it's 10K. And now T. Reside, not only did he go 3-0 and on Thursday night getting five tickets to the contest, as did all those Twitter handles that I mentioned, uh, but T. Reside just has all the money because of Bitcoin. So, like, he needed it. He Like, he needed to go 3-0 and against the spread on Thanksgiving. Uh, he also leads uh, with the most raffle tickets so far. I mean, T. Reside, this, this guy, come on. Uh, if you want to catch T. Reside, make sure that you send a pick against the Super Contest spread this week. You'll get a ticket. You'll be placed in a raffle. At the end of the year, we will raffle off some bad QB jerseys, some books, and some Gridiron Gamble swag. Uh, so again, congratulations to those fellas for getting all three games right on Thanksgiving. Uh, if you want to tweet at us, you can do so at Gridiron Gamble. Shoot us an email, gridirongamblepodcast at gmail.com. That's it for the recap pod. We'll be back on Thursday if my equipment works properly. Uh, you'll get this show in the morning. It'll be the DFS pod, and then Friday, of course, We'll give you our super contest picks. Until then, for the boys, peace. Ow.